0: Well, church, uh, as we shift gears and I, I uh, step to this um, table, this podium, I guess, um, just want to tell you I love you so, so much. I do pray for you. want us to be well and whole. I want us to be effective for the cause of Christ. tried in different circumstances and different events this week to be able to remind people that what we're doing here matters. The fact that you showed up, either tuned in or walked in, it's a divine appointment. This is a good thing. As I've done in past weeks, try to catch us up on a few announcements or things so that we're current, because our whole church uh, exists because of the relationship to Christ and then relationship to one another. So while this is probably our biggest event each week, and in which most people are involved, we do have medium and smaller sized gatherings. One of the medium-sized that we've been doing over the past couple of years is called a Serving Summit. It was scheduled for yesterday, and we pulled the plug on that. And the reason we did is because the, the content that we have prepared is so, so valuable to the medium-sized group. And I would say just high-fives to those who come to the Serving Summit because they are the core of Rock Springs. Uh, if you have been to or planning on doing that, that means that your heart is turning toward not what can you get out of Rock Springs, but what can you contribute to it as a huge, uh, 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 just a gaggle of servants, I guess you would say. And what we have planned for that is coming. We want to save it, as uh, said in a rather um, uh, cool song, Uh, I'm not giving away my shot, okay, because we're going to take that shot sometime in the first quarter of 24. In the meantime, though, we're going to sushi-size a few things that benefit those who serve. And we'll be having some Zoom rooms, and we'll be having some other things because the, uh, the purpose statements and the mission statements that you've been preparing are very important, and we don't want to let those go. But that's how that went. You know, Paul said that he wanted to go. The Apostle Paul, who we have to thank for uh, actually getting the gospel out to uh, people like you and me, He said that he desperately wanted to go to Spain in his day to tell people about Jesus. And that was his plan. But that plan never came through. Instead, God routed him through Rome, put him in prison, and got his word out, got the word of God out uh, in a very peculiar way. I'm just saying, we try to remain fast, fluid, and flexible because we say we're going to do such and such if the Lord wills. So thank you for those of you who uh, registered Sorry to do that last minute, but we felt like that was the wise thing to do. Now, as we're moving ahead, this coming uh, Saturday, Rock Springs Women is having an all-day retreat right here on the Cortez campus. It's scheduled from 8.30 to 2.30, and I encourage you to either register the old-fashioned way at the information desk or you can register online on the uh, Church Center app, and it is so quick and easy. Do that because there are a couple of meals involved, some really cool things are going to be doing They're also going to be having a powerful testimony or two in there. You say, I can't make it from 830 to 230. Well, then register and come for what you can. Go pick up as much beautiful blessing as you can. uh, Fill your cup. That next day, which is going to be next Sunday, we're offering um, class one. It's our membership class. Uh, If you've been hanging around Rock Springs for any length of time, either tuning in or walking in, uh, and you say, I want to know what they believe. I want to know why they do what they do. I want to know what it means to stack hands and be a member of Rock Springs Church. I'm going to be presenting that class material for about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes is what it takes. We'll also feed you lunch if you'll be here on campus. If you need to uh, join us uh, online, we can arrange that as well. You can register for that on the Church Center app as well. Please do that. Our uh, uh, Let's see. So many things. Gosh, there's so many cool things going on. Uh, today... Uh, part seven, uh, episode seven of what we've been talking about, you drive me crazy. And next week we will wrap that up with how do you make you know, how do you keep the crazy makers from driving you crazy and it's going to be good. Um, it's going to be great. Then, uh, like I said, on the 29th, we' going to have church and Family Day. If you are uh, a family who wants to dedicate your children, as I said, just reach out to me, David at rocksprings.church. Uh, let me know that, and we'll get uh, you into that part of that dedication of that service. We also, a couple of weeks ago, I challenged you, we have a matching offering of $20,000 that was given, and that will be to uh, button up some things on the outside of this building, the roof on that building, make it better for the winter. Uh, Just really bless our Rock Springs Kids area. And uh, what's cool is that Leanne and I, I mean, Not that Leanne and I did this. I'm saying you can do what we did. We prayed through what we felt like God wanted us to give, and then we were able to give. I gave on the Church Center app, and I said I want to give this amount. I did the pull down. I don't remember if it's strong finish, finish strong. Pick two words that sound like that. You can just do whatever you want on that. That's how you direct that offering there. That offering continues to grow, but we need it to hit at least $15,000 on our part. All of you and me and all of us so that we can get started on those things. So I encourage you to do that. Please don't give if you feel like I was twisting your arm. That's not how we do things around here. Um, Yeah. I think that's it. Here's the thing about what Jesus said near the beginning of his ministry, is that he was uh, called up to the front of a uh, synagogue service, and uh, the, the pattern there was you were given an opportunity to read from the, the scrolls of the, what we would call the Old Testament. And he uh, chose Isaiah. And he said in there many things, he said, The Lord's hand is upon me and I have been called to do these things. And one of those things that he said is that I have come to release the oppressed. What we're going to be talking about today for the next uh, several minutes is a very sensitive subject. But Jesus spoke in the beginning of his ministry that that's what he came to do. And then he, at the end of his public ministry, hung up on a cross to bear the sin that is involved in abuse as well as understand the extreme and difficult pain of it. So if there's anything that I want you to get, and that is that Jesus is in the midst of your trouble and difficulty. I also know that in some cases you go, I have never experienced abuse. But you do know someone who has. The statistics would bear that out. That's why the approach I'm taking today is how can we help each other in this situation to break free from this, this wrong. This, it's, it, it's just wrong. It is. And the church needs to come to terms with it. But as I've said about so many things uh, in what we teach, is if you can answer two questions in regards to any of this, you'll be doing great. And one of those is, the first question is, what does love require? What does the love of Christ, who said he came to free the oppressed, What does the love that was expressed in the cross of Jesus Christ, what does that kind of love require? Ask yourself that in regards to anyone that you may know or what you're going through. And then the next question would be, what can I do to help? This message is not intended to sit in judgment of anyone else. And it is also not intended to... um, uh, The problem is the abuse. But what I want us to focus on is what is the solution. And that is the love of God lived out in our lives and in our relationships. Yeah. In this series, we've been dealing with how do you deal with unhealthy and broken relationships because we've tried to make it funny at different times because there's a difference between abuse and then just being frustrated by the persons or persons that you live with. Um, But at the core of it all, y'all, we are a colossal collection of moral fallops. We all have an innate ability to do the wrong thing. That's the result of sin. Sin does that. If you look at the context of everything that Scripture says about sin, and that is the desire to be the boss inside of us, that's, that's what sin is. It's not the smoking and drinking and all that other stuff. That's, those are just symptomatic. Sin is the desire to be the boss, and it breaks everything inside of us. It breaks everything around us. The weather is broken because of sin. Economies are broken because of sin. Government is broken because of sin. Bodies are broken because of sin. It, it's all a result of sin that entered the world uh, in the Garden of Eden. But you have to face your enemy in order to conquer that enemy. And today I just want us to talk about abuse. And yeah, abuse can come in physical form. It can come in verbal form, sexual form, emotional form. The Bible's not shy about talking about it. It's just we typically don't land on these passages of Scripture. But Paul even told his friend Timothy, who he was trying to train in ministry, he said in a letter, Second Timothy, he said, Abuse is going to increase in the last days. And the reason for that, if you look at the rest of Scripture, is that as culture moves further and further away from being rooted in God, then it doesn't have a substantial foundation to stand on. And as culture decays, then people live more and more for themselves and less for God. And when you lose your spiritual footing, when you lose your spiritual roots, then confusion about what to do about the brokenness just causes more confusion, which causes more hurt, and then it just continues to flourish. The statistics revolving around, um, around abuse, uh, the number one cause of injury to women worldwide is domestic violence. Number one. In other words, more women are hurt By a man in their life, that statistic is so large that it is larger than number two and number three combined for women around the world. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. It should not be that way. We all know that. And the injury comes from people that this woman knows, it's not random. To put it in a different context, every nine seconds in America, a woman is physically abused. She's assaulted or beaten by someone she knows. Around the world, one in three women have been beaten and coerced into sex or they are abused in that context. 20% of girls under the age of 18 have been in a relationship with a boy who threatened violence or self-harm to himself if they are to break up in a relationship. One out of five teenage girls. Now, this is not a man-bashing thing because here's the interesting thing that doesn't get talked about. Women statistically commit half of partner violence, not typically as aggressive as men, but women commit half of partner violence. In other words, it is just as likely for a man to be emotionally abused in a relationship, but here's the thing about us guys, is that we're half as likely to report it. That's not right either. And some of you are going down the road, like, yeah, this mess is all touchy feely. No. This is just wrong. It's not a political issue, it's a human relationship issue. And Jesus came to redeem this. Did you know? Did you know? This is what I mean is that it's not just the church, it's society that has a tendency to turn a blind eye to all of this. Is that in the United States of America, there are three times more animal shelters than there are shelters for victims of domestic violence. I love my pets, but that just seems out of balance. Okay, physical, verbal... Sexual abuse, relatively easy to identify, easy to spot. Emotional abuse, that's more subtle. And it's way more easy to disguise and excuse. But you and I know, because we're in human relationships, you and I know that that is very real, and it is also very painful, or can be. can be a very painful reality, and the reason it is painful is because we live in a sin-sick world. It's not new, Ever since sin entered the picture, it goes back through scripture. I don't even have these on your notes or on the screen. But just like in Genesis 16, it says that Sarah was abusive to Hagar and Hagar ran away. It was a really, really messed up situation. And Sarah took it out on on Hagar. Um, We'll get to this perhaps in November uh, during a series. But there's this situation in in the book of Samuel that uh, Nabal who was Abigail's alcoholic husband, uh, she had to go and tell somebody he is a bully and he won't listen to anybody and I need some help. About 5,000 years ago, Job was trying to come to terms with this and he said, and it is written in the 19th chapter of Job, why do you keep tormenting me with your words? Time after time you insult me and show no shame in the way that you Abuse me. It's heavy. It's heavy. It's always been heavy. But ignoring it does not make it go away. Here's another thing, and then we'll jump into what can we do to help. The damage from this kind of relational um, mismanagement, this, this damage from abuse can actually last a whole lifetime unless it is dealt with. Because here's another statistic is that 80% of people in their 20s who either were abused as children or they saw abuse going on in their home when they were children, they still struggle with at least one emotional disorder as a result of they don't know what bucket to put all of this in. And you wonder why we all feel so anxious and we don't know what to do. Because this is something society does not teach you how to deal with. But God's word is good. It helps us. It's not in your notes, but Job went on to say in chapter 30, he said, the churning inside me never stops. Each day confronts me with more suffering. He was experiencing what people in their 20s, even in the 21st century, experience. It's it's a human condition. But like I told you, time won't heal these wounds, but grace Plus truth, plus time, with the power of God, will heal these wounds. I've seen it. I see it time and time again because we have a church that operates under this idea that we are all messed up. We all need recovery. So without a doubt, you've either been abused, you have abused, or you know someone who is in a situation like this. So I want us to look at this through the lens of wherever you're at, but how do you help? What are you supposed to do? How do you help someone break free from this abuse? Now, I will tell you this. There is no one single passage that you can go to that says, do these three things, click your heels together, and it's all going to be better. It's not going to happen. But I do know that you can go to passages of Scripture that lead by example and lead by principles, and one of them has to do with this guy by the name of David. Because he experienced this kind of thing. Not just at home, but in his work, in his relationship with friends, in what he had to do day to day. So perhaps we can find some things that will help us. I want you to find peace. I want you to find healing. I want you to find forgiveness. I want us to be able to walk out of here after we have sung a song, of prayer to God, that there is hope and there is joy even in the midst of the struggle. See so you all with me today? Okay very first thing that you can do individually or as a, as a family trying to help someone is that you can't keep it a secret. Just don't keep it a secret. Now, in our day and time, and this is a wrinkle that didn't exist in the time of David or even in the time of Jesus, is they didn't have social media. Okay? This is not something to be handled in social media contexts. It needs to be handled in trustworthy relationships. And Facebook, Insta, TikTok, Snap, whatever you're into is not the place to go. Put down the phone, okay? But here's the thing. You've got to come to terms with this really exists. As they say in Celebrate Recovery, denial is more than just a river in Egypt, okay? you got to step out of denial. You've got to say that it is happening. But the thing is, human beings, it is very, very common for us to hide our hurt. Hurt causes us to want to withdraw. I want to get away from this, so I withdraw. And we think by withdrawing into ourselves that we're going to get better. But here, listen to what I'm telling you. This is one of God's principles. It's only psychology that came to it in the last few years to figure it out, but God's been saying it for five, 3,000, 2,000. He's been saying it for years and years and centuries and millennia. You can't find healing when you're hiding. You've got to share your pain with someone that you trust. Where do you find someone you can trust? There's an environment around here that focuses on that. It's called celebrate recovery. It's not the only place, but that's a good place to start. That's where you have to say, I am hurting. I'm broken. I've got something that's not working right. Would you please help me? The first step is don't ignore it. Don't pretend that it doesn't exist. Don't fake it. Don't close your eyes to it. That's the tendency is that if we haven't experienced it, but we look on other people like, oh, well, I'll just look over here. None of my business. It is your business. When other people are hurting for the call of Christ, you are not the Savior, but he is. And we need to bring the light to bear in that darkness. Are you with me, church? This is not a good amen message, but I'm just telling you, I need some help on this. This is is, is a tough message to bring. I want you to write something down. We're only as sick as our secrets. And that's true on so many other levels besides abuse. But write that down. I'm only as sick as my secrets. You can write it down another way by saying, revealing my feeling is the beginning of healing. Put that on your mirror if you're in a world of hurt. Revealing my feeling is the beginning of healing. In other words, I'm just saying, talk about it. Talk about it with someone that you trust. And guys, I know this to be true, and I'm a fairly outgoing fella. When you get to be about 30, 35 years old, most men don't have any friends. That's sad. Because whenever you hurt, you don't always need to take your hurt to your wife or your significant other. Surely don't need to take it to your kids. Who do you take it to? And if there's no one to take it to, then what do you do? You medicate through whatever means. Talk about it. Because whatever you can't talk about is already out of control. Whatever you can't talk about is already dominating your life. And you know it as well as I do, men and women. If you don't have someone to talk it out with, you're stuck in your own head. Been there, done that. I'm not speaking in theory. In John, Jesus said something that's been used for politics and, and Lord knows what. But I'm just telling you, he was speaking about himself. He said, the truth will set you free. Not your truth, not my truth. I've told you that before. One of the most annoying things I hear in our times. Like, you you know, she shared her truth. Truth does not belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. Truth is truth. It stands outside of us. And truth's name is Jesus. A relationship with Christ is essential for any of what I'm telling you to make sense. But I'm just saying the Jesus who said the truth will set you free always met people at their point of need. And then he led them to greater, greater commitment to God. But I'm just telling you, you can't pretend that it doesn't exist. Speak the truth that it is happening and that God's hope will bless you. Abuse has often been called the silent epidemic because Western culture, 70%... ...of women who have experienced domestic violence... ...have never told or talked to anyone about it. 70%. And men are even less likely to talk about it... ...or ask for help. And the reason is, is because abuse creates false shame. When you hurt because of an interpersonal relationship... ...it makes you feel like you're the one to blame. Listen to me very clearly. We all have our brokenness that we have to deal with but if you have been abused it's not your fault that's not the way abuse works and I know because I've worked with so many people over these 30 years of pastoring this church I'm just telling you the next thing after I tell them that is they go yeah but I'm like no there is no yeah but Mm -mm. you are not responsible for the wrong or sinful things that people do to you You are not responsible for the sin of someone else's life. The one thing that you are responsible for is your response to that. And there is no single passage, like I said, of what to do about abuse, but there are examples and principles, and King David is a very good example of that. Good resource, because like I told you, he spent a lot of his time dealing with people who wanted to hurt him, discredit him, abuse him, even kill him. You can do your own study on this, but just start reading one of the, the book of Psalms. It's, it's, it's lyrics, it's, it's, it's uh, um, uh, diary entries, that, but there's over a hundred passages in Psalms that he wrote. Because he was quite the guy. He was, a, he was a musician, he was a warrior, he was obviously a very good king, but uh, he was also a poet. And he tried to write down about his frustrations, his fears, his shame, his depression, all of that. And a lot of that was caused by his abusive enemies. And one of the things that David learned really well was don't hold it in. Look at this, Psalm uh, 39. David said, this is what I did. He said, I will not say anything while evil people are near. So I kept quiet, not saying a word, but look at what happened. He said, but my suffering only grew worse and I was overcome with anxiety. Hmm. And then he said, the more I thought, the more troubled I became. Hmm. He said, I could not keep from asking in my prayers, Lord, how long will I live? When will I die? Tell me how soon my life will end. Wow. Hmm. Psychologists have only come to it in later, you know, but we're talking about over a thousand years ago. He's got all the classic responses of an abused person. He was afraid to talk about it in the presence of the people who were, who were his perpetrators. Second thing is, his silence made it worse, and he got stuck in his head. Number three, he internalized his pain, which turned into panic and anxiety, and then he became, uh, became obsessed with death, especially his own death. Because being abused and being in that constant situation can actually lead people to, it's like, you know, i got to get out of this, and my only way out is i got to take my own life. And let me tell you something. If you felt that way, there's hope. There's hope. Please, please don't, that's not a good option. Don't go that way. Don't go that way. Mm -mm. And I don't mean just try to do it on your own. We got people who will be available after the service if you need to talk about this. But we also have resources that I'm going to tell you about here in a minute. I'm here to tell you, God cares about you. And that sounds like a preacherism. He does. He knows what you're going through. He cares about it. But you have a church family who doesn't have it all together. But we know the Savior who does. And we're doing our best to bring those things of hope into hopeless situations. Please, we want to help. But you got to speak up. Y'all got that? Let's go on to the next one. Don't keep it a secret and then name it. Not generally. I'm, I'm having a hard time. Name the abuse. What does it look like? So that you know what of God's truth to bring to bear in your situation. Recognize it. Identify it. Be specific. If you have been sinned against, then what is the sin? Call it what it is. Call it for what it is. And you may need some help like this in, in this situation because the fact is, in any situation, we may too, be too close to it, if, you're, if you are experiencing it. It's like you can't see the forest for the trees. Yeah? And here's the other thing of not being able to see it accurately is that sometimes it's become your new baseline and it's now an abnormal normal. And we can do better. Look at... Look at David's stuff in, 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 um, in, in Psalm. He used lots of different descriptions, but he often used, these people are my enemy or my enemies. And he used that phrase 92 times in Psalms. And these times when he spoke of it that way, I think are very helpful because they mark different kinds of emotional abuse. And I'm telling you, we all go through tough times. What I'm speaking to you about right now is if this is your new baseline and it's abnormal normal, I'm talking about if you're dealing with this in a chronic way and you cannot seem to get away from it, not just periods of we're having a hard time, I'm saying if you are dealing with these in a chronic way, you are suffering abuse, but let's name it. Is it aggravation? That's one of them, aggravation. Psalm 102.8 says, My enemies taunt me day after day, day after day, day after day. They mock me and they curse me. It never stops. It's so consistent. It's all the time aggravated. They won't leave you in peace. They're always poking at you, picking on you, provoking you, trying to get you to be angry. Then you're probably having to deal with the abuse of aggravation but there's other kinds there's the intimidation that's one another one that david experienced intimidation intimidation is you can see it in psalm 109:20 he said they tell lies about me and they threaten me y'all the last time i brought this message was several years ago and I hadn't been through as much as I've been through in these last few years. And I do not live in an abusive situation with my loving wife, but I have been through my level of these things the last couple of years. I'm not speaking to it from theory. It exists, and it hurts. When people lie about you and threaten you, and you don't seem to have any recourse to change people's minds about it. But I will say intimidation is very real because people are always making threats. They pressure you. They try to scare you. You say, what does it sound like? It sounds like if you don't do what I tell you to do, I'm leaving. And then you'll be left with nothing. If you don't do what I say, I'm going to hurt you. And it can happen at work. It can happen at school, at home, neighborhood. Maybe... The emotional abuse you have is aggravation, intimidation. Maybe it's um, denigration. They denigrate you. They put you down so that they can feel better about themselves. It's as if you, pushing you down somehow pushes them up. Psalm 22.7 says, They make fun of me and ridicule me. Now see, I've got some friends, some, some, some guy friends who are my friends. And there's a difference between good-natured teasing like when I pick up my phone and I text one of these guys and like, I missed your ugly mug this morning so bad. Or, you know, check in is like, how you doing, ugly? The love and the context of trustworthiness and brotherhood is strong. And he is still ugly. You know, it's just a fact. But there again, look at what I, you know. God bless him at what he has to look like. There is a difference between good-natured teasing and mean-spirited scorn. And that's where I go back to social media is just completely overflowing with put-downs, belittling. Mm -mm. Okay, number four, humiliation. Humiliation is another tactic, another approach of abuse and from psalm sixty nine nineteen, i have been insulted put to shame and humiliated david said you know shame is one of the chief tools that abusers use because they feel like if they demean you and dishonor and disgrace you then somehow it makes them honorable and graced it's not true but maybe that's what you're experiencing is it uh maybe you're experiencing manipulation in psalm 73 david said they jeer using words to kill, and they bully their way with words, they're going to be louder and meaner than you. I don't want to show of hands, but have you ever been bullied by someone's words? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. There's a French word for that. Baloney. Number six, domination, Psalm 118, 13. David said, they push hard to make me fall. (laughs) You should read all the stories that David, I mean, those were some situations. In other words, with domination, people are trying to control you in all sorts of ways because it's a power play. Uh, Sometimes abuse comes in the form of, I am trying to control you because I have to be in charge, which is not the way of Christ. Number seven, defamation. Psalm 31, 13. David said, they spread rumors about me and they conspire against me. (laughs) Defamation has to do with one of the things that Scripture says so strongly. Do not gossip. Unless you are part of the solution or part of the problem... Don't, what you need to do is pray. But people who are trying to abuse will love to gossip about you and say things that will embarrass you in each and every context. Okay, now eighth one, we got to move on. Uh, That is a spirit of condemnation uh, in abuse. And that is when when David was um, writing Psalm 35, he said, they mock me with the worst kind of profanity and they snarl at me. Here's the thing I've noticed most common whenever i try to do some counseling to help people who are experiencing this. What uh, an abuser in this situation do is always trying to shock that person, the person who's being abused with the most vulgar and abusive language they can find. They use these vulgar and crude slangs at you or about you, about your appearance, about a body part. It's just all kinds of condemnation. I say again... If these things that I've been talking about that we see in Scripture, if these words describe your chronic environment, you are being emotionally abused. It's not right. There is a better way. But you've got to admit it, name it, and then here's the third thing. And it, each of these builds on the one before it, of course. Don't minimize what you discover or try to rationalize it away. You've got to admit that It's happening. Got to get specific about what is happening. But whenever you make that painful discovery, don't minimize it. Don't try to rationalize it. This is where we are, and this is where we say, well, we're Christ followers, so we're supposed to be nice. This is not about being nice. It's not about being mean. What it's about is being truthful and allowing God's truth to set us free. But the tendency is, if you want to do good things, what you say is, well... I know you said that, preacher, but he was having a bad day. Well, we all have bad days. But that doesn't give you, him, any of us, the license to behave that way. But what you just did is try to make a rational, you tried to make an irrational situation very rational, and it's not true. Or people will say, well, you know, now that I look back on it, I kind of brought it on myself. We're all messed up. But we don't deserve to be treated that way. Don't rationalize it. Don't minimize it. You know, like, well, you know, yeah, that's what she did. And there's so many good things about her. Well, that is true. But those are two very distinctly different things. Deal with what's going on. That's why Paul said in Ephesians, he said, don't be fooled by those who try to to excuse these sins. He says, for the anger of God comes upon all those who disobey him. Because here's the thing, God hates abuse. He loves those who are being abused and he loves abusers because he wants to redeem them and change them into who he created them to be. But he hates abuse. It makes him angry. You say, what's your evidence? Go and read all, just go to the Old Testament, start at Malachi, isn't he the Italian prophet? Right there at the end? No, it's Malachi, sorry, I forgot it was at church. <laughs> it was the Italian one. Um, start there and go backwards for about 11 or 12 of those guys. Ooh, Lord. God was speaking through him, uh, through all of those guys? And God did not like the abuse that was going on. Oh, here's another one. Got to move on because there's just so much that I want to share with you. Here, this is a myth. I want to tell you the truth to, to replace it. The myth is, is that abusers are the strong ones. No. They appear to be that way because they're usually louder. But the truth is, and this is just... Human behavior. The more insecure and powerless a person feels, the more abusive they will tend to be. It's like a caged animal, a a cornered animal. You know where the real strength is? Is someone who says, God, with your power, I am going to dig deep, admit that it is existing, I'm going to name it, and I will not back away from it because your grace is greater than all this sin. That's strength, man. That's strength. So, you need to look around, see if anybody is being strong like that so that you can step in and say, you know, I want to help you. Let's, 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 let's move this couch together. Come on. Because the fourth thing that I think we can do to help is help people who are in a bad way, like we've been talking about, help them to a safe place if that is necessary. Help them to a safe place if that is what's necessary. Here's what I mean. You need to get to a safe place if you are right now being physically or sexually abused. You need to get out now. I'll say it again. If you are being physically or sexually abused, you need to get out now. Not later. Now. On the Church Center app, it's under Community Resources, I believe, is the tab. We've prepared, and it goes for things that if you're online, there are numbers you can call and ways you can reach out that apply no matter where you are. And there are some that are very particular and and close to home here in Cortez. But I'm just telling you, you need to get out now. There are resources to do that. Now walk with me through this, y'all. Walk with me. There is absolutely no verse or passage in Scripture that instructs a child, a wife, or a husband to remain in a life threatening or sexually abusive situation. And anyone who tells you otherwise is making stuff. Some of you may be going, but it's tough right now in my marriage. I'm married, so I'm not supposed to leave. I'm not saying divorce. See, I can show you examples. We don't have time right now, but I'm saying there are people who were in a bad way, like we're talking about this morning, that went into a separation for the express purpose of reconciliation, and they worked their way through through the power of God and the truth of God's word. But sometimes you have to, as you, if you're going to characterize it as a boxing match, you've got to go to your corners in order to calm down. In order to hear what is needing to be said. To listen to the right voices. There is no nobility in staying in the fight if you are being abused physically or sexually. You need to get out. I'm saying if you make that move, you have to move under this this, this belief, and that is that God can heal this in amazing ways. And I'm here to tell you, it's the truth. If both parties that are involved in this situation will humble themselves before God and say, we've been doing it the wrong way, God, what do you want us to do? I guarantee you there will be wonderful, positive progress made. But you got to get recalibrated on his grace. you got to get recalibrated on his truth. And sometimes the only way you can actually hear that and the only way for attention to go where it needs to go is through separation so that you get rested, so you get healthy enough to do the hard work of reconciliation. Because I'm here to tell you, repairing broken relationships is one of the most demanding things you will ever do. But it is worth it. But both both people need to commit to a separation for the purpose of reconciliation. And that's where sincere repentance happens. And you say, what is repentance? It's, I was going this way and I discovered I was going the absolute wrong way. And repentance is, I changed my mind because I got the truth. And repentance looks like, you know, the fastest way out of here is I got to make a U-turn and I go the right way. That's what Jesus has called us to do in every situation of our life. Because if you do that, and that other person does that sincere repentance, then God, through his power, you can trust him to remake your relationship in a brand new way. Now, if you're saying, I'm not in this, but I keep hearing what you're saying, and I want to help my friend who's being abused. Number one, help them report it and help them get some help. But here's the other thing, and this is where the church has a unique voice, and I'm talking about any Christ-honoring church. We have to put ourselves in the shoes of people who are hurting. That's what we're called to do. What does love require and what can I do to help? You put yourself in their shoes. Hebrews 13 says, regard prisoners in prison as if you were in prison with them. That's how we're to live. In Hebrews 13:3, the second half of that verse, it says, "Look on victims of abuse as if what happened to them has happened to you." Church, you cannot turn away from this and be obedient. I told you this in a couple of uh, three weeks ago is that yeah, you ought to be carrying your backpack and your personal responsibility for your life but there are times when you've got to move a grand piano or you have to move a couch and I'm sorry, I know a lot of you are strong but smell isn't everything as they used to say. Okay, you can't pick up that grand piano by yourself. So You've got to have some help and a lot of you are dealing with something that's bigger than a grand piano. So let other people help you but we as those on the outside of that let's 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 be in there and let's help them carry let's share their load galatians 6 2 like i said carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of christ what is the law of christ It is love that's why i say you can't obediently say it's none of my business because christ has called us to be ready everywhere to protect relationships that's what we're called to do Anytime, anywhere, home, work, school. Because relationships is what Jesus is all about. Relationships are so valuable. They are pivotal pivotal to our health. or are pivotal to our peace, our, our personal economics. And let me just say, having worked you know, over uh, multiple generations, because I am literally that old, this is the opportunity for the church to break chains, break every chain, break every chain of multi-generational habits. We have the opportunity. We literally carry the resurrection power of Jesus Christ with us. Break every chain. Because if, if abuse is a big problem, yes, it is a problem. But the reason it's a problem is because it's contagious. It can be passed on. I said it earlier, but millions of kids who witness some form of domestic abuse in their home, they are two times more likely to abuse their own family whenever they develop their own family. Break every chain. You say, well, you seem sounding real uppity. No. We are a colossal collection of moral foul-ups who found Jesus. We're we're a bunch of hungry beggars who found food who want to go find some other hungry beggars and take them to the food. Everybody's broken. But the brokenness that you and I experience can never be an excuse to do nothing. If you know Jesus, pray for boldness with his grace and his truth and see what happens. Because at the same time, here's the thing. We have to do this together. Number five, don't confront an abuser by yourself. We don't need any Lone Ranger Christians. Some of you, though, is like, oh, I'm going to be the sword of the Lord today. Well, that is neither wise nor safe, and we go back to another huge thing that is true throughout all these documents that compose the Bible, and that is we're just better together. Solomon was talking about it in Ecclesiastes. He said, by yourself, you're unprotected with a friend. You can face the worst. Can you get a third person, he said, because a three-stranded rope isn't easily snapped, and that's the truth. So let's help one another. Let's do this together. Let's shine the light of truth together where sin has grown up just like mushrooms in the dark. Go to the church center app, community resources, good place to start. In there you will find Celebrate Recovery. Friday nights, 6 p.m., get some food on your stomach. Number 7, I mean at 7 o'clock you get some worship of God. At 8 o'clock you have an opportunity to be introduced to the process. It's beautiful. It's called Celebrate Recovery. It's a good thing. Paul said this in Ephesians. He said, take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, rebuke and expose them. Because it's shameful to even talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But when the light shines on them, it becomes clear how evil these things were. And where your light shines, it will expose their evil deeds. Not you. Truth shining on lies and evil will change the situation. Some of you going like, I've been around this enough. That sounds like an intervention. Hmm. God's been saying that for a long time before we ever gave it a word. Because sometimes that's what's needed. CR have some experience on that. They have experience that you bring wisdom, that's a plan. You bring love and restoration, not condemnation. It can heal things. And you also bring to it with it, you bring to situations like that a caution not to fall into it or fall into a situation of pride of going, Well, I'm good. Look at all the people I'm saving. But you gotta have truth, you gotta have grace, you gotta have grace, gotta have truth. Y'all getting anything out of this today? Yes. Okay. Number six. Then begin the healing process. Now, the speed at which you go through one, two, three, four, and five may be pretty swift, or it may take a while. Don't, don't get caught on that. They're not all equally timed. But I'm saying if you know what you're dealing with, and you're not afraid to admit it, and you keep leaning into it, and stop making excuses. You will get to a spot to where you have to begin, watch what I'm saying here, you have to begin a healing process. Because number one, two, three, four, and five is a decision. But this is what we do as human beings. We often get the decision and the process confused. That's why a lot of us get stuck in the starting blocks on anything we're trying in our life, is we start looking at the problems ahead of time before we even make the decision about what we're going to do. Don't confuse the decision to say, "I want this kind of hope and healing in my life," and then going, "You know what? There's going to be uh, some turbulence as I turn and swim upstream in this downstream world." That's a process. This point right here could have 12 subpoints. Anybody catch that? It's a 12-step program. Gotcha. What I love about the 12-step program and the reason it's been so, so, so beautiful and beneficial to our society and around the world is because it's based on the truth of God's Word. It has been co-opted and done some things with. But you come to celebrate recovery you will see the biblical basis of all 12 steps of the 12-step process. What's even more beautiful is then you see the foundation on which they sit, and that is the eight principles that Jesus taught in the be happy attitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm up to 20 points now. Y'all ready for me to give them all? My wife said no. Okay. It is a process. In all likelihood, you didn't find yourself in this situation overnight. You're not probably going to have all the tools you need overnight. But they exist. And you can learn them. And your life will change. But it is a decision followed by a process. That's why I say, can you just start with this Friday? I had some plans. I'm changing my plans. Because at 6 p.m. I'm going to come hang out with a bunch of broken people like me. I'm going to have some food. I'm going to be real awkward at the 7 o'clock time because other people are singing songs I don't know. And then I'm going to look up there and I'm going to either hear a testimony or I'm going to hear a lesson that has to do with the next step in recovery. And you're going to go, how does that fit? And you go, that's why they tell you, keep coming back. And then you set it up. I was like, I'm going to be here next Friday. And the next. And the next. And I look across this auditorium. And I see people who were hopeless. And because they made that choice, they are healthy and they're whole and they're helping other people find the same thing. But it's going to start with you because you have to make the choice now to do what you got to do. See, this is 5,000-year-old advice and it's still so good. One of Job's friends It is recorded in Job 11. This is what he told him, and this is still valid today. He said, put your heart right, get in the right direction. Got to repent, turn back. Put your heart right, reach out to God. Put away any evil or wrong from your home. Then face the world again, firm and courageous. See, going back to where you need to be is not as far away as you think it is. And I'm talking to abusers and those who have been abused. I'm just telling you. Face the world again, firm and courageous, then all your troubles will fade from your memory like the floods that are past. And remembered no more. Your life will be brighter than sunshine at noon. And life's darkest hours will shine like the dawn. That there is actually purpose to your pain. What I've tried to do, y'all, listen, listen, I love you so much. What I've tried to do with this message is I've tried to pull back the curtain on the hurt so that the light of God's hope could shine. This message ultimately has been a message of hope. Because if you look at the core of what I've told you over these last several minutes is if you make the courageous decision to do what's right, you are living a wise life. And God honors wisdom. It also said you've got to turn to God and the only way we can turn to God is through Jesus. Jesus said it. There is only one way to God. He said, I'm it. The third thing I've tried to help you see is there is... method to the madness and that is you've got to get away from the evil and get it out of your life and the fourth thing is you've got to have some help you cannot do this by yourself but when you do that there is hope so my heart's desire for you and for your relationships is this i believe that the rest of your life can indeed be the best of your life So, finally, let's wrap this up. Whether this is your battle that I've been talking about or you're trying to help someone else because it's their battle, let God settle the score. This is tough. This is very tough. And I can only speak for guys because I are one. We want to seek revenge. I think that's probably true for women. Is that true for girls too? Yeah, okay. But Scripture says don't seek revenge, and the reason it says that is because we have a tendency to want to seek revenge. (laughs) It wouldn't be in there if it weren't a problem. But Scripture says straight up, do not seek revenge. Don't seek revenge. Don't retaliate. Your place and my place as a Christ follower is not to get even. Do not try to hurt people back because they hurt you. Break every chain. Because they're hurting you because they're hurting somewhere or they've been hurt. But at the same time, it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to be real good and I'm going to like, uh, do not let resentment take root either. What he says and the instruction we're to follow is let God settle the score. What this has to do with is do we believe that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he said he will do. Now, he might not do it in the time frame we like. But listen, listen, listen. You honestly have three choices at this point. Whenever you're saying, I'm going to be in a position um, in regards to them. Whoever the the the, the person uh, dealing out the abuse is, you have choice number one. You can be beneath them morally, ethically. You can second choice. You can be on the same level with them. That's what happens when you get even with them. Or you can have the choice number three, and that is you can rise above them morally or ethically by letting God settle the score. So, do you want to be worse than them? Do you want to be even with someone that you don't like, or do you want to actually? supersede what they're doing. Peter wrote this, never repay one wrong with another or one abusive word with another. Instead, repay with a blessing. That is what you are called to do so that you inherit a blessing. I don't think we even have to know Greek to understand what he just said. Here's what I would say to you as we head down the home stretch: There is one person who truly understands the pain of abuse better than anyone and that is Jesus of Nazareth. Isaiah said this about him far long, 700 years before he was born. Isaiah 53, he wrote prophetically. He was wounded and crushed for our sins. That sounds like abuse to me. He was beaten and bruised so we could have peace. He was mocked and whipped so we could be healed. (laughs) See, listen, this is where my heart's been, especially yesterday, as I let this message kind of stew inside of me. This is where the message that I'm bringing to you can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus, he took the guilt of every abuse that has ever been committed on himself. And by the guilt, I mean, if you're abusing, you're guilty. But he took your guilt to give you grace and hope and mercy. And when he died, he died for your sin. Past, present, and future, he died for my sin. Past, present, and future, he died for all sins so that we do not have to pay for it. But it is also in doing that that his suffering actually unleashed peace and healing for abused people. That it is in his blood and in his suffering that you will find the peace and healing from being abused. There is no one like Jesus. There's nobody like Jesus. That's why we call him Savior. And I'm just telling you, if you have never met Jesus as your forgiver and leader, that's your first stop. You need to know Jesus Christ so that he can set you free from all the guilt and all the shame and all the the, the sin and the evil. He said, I will take all of that and then I'll give you all of my righteousness so that you can stand before God clean and free, brand new. And then you can live life like I designed it to be lived. Your healing actually starts with Jesus. Now I know the screen says that this is Psalm 53.5, but it's actually Psalm 34.18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those whose spirits have been crushed. I've tried my best to show you the problem, but at the same time, I'm wanting you to see. You need to look to Jesus. He is your healer. He is your savior. It's going to be an inside job because the heart of this problem we've been talking about today is a problem of the heart. But what do we do with the outside? How do I learn to change my actions? Well, look to Jesus did he retaliate and hurt back all the people who tried to hurt him and abuse him? And No. He kept turning it over to God the Father. Not my will, but your will be done. Okay? Peter records this, that Christ never verbally abused those who verbally abused him. And when he suffered, he didn't make any threats, but he left everything to the one who judges fairly. <laughs> judges fairly. You say, what does that mean? God has made it clear and he's true to his word all the time he's made it clear that one day he's going to balance the books he's going to settle accounts and he alone will administer justice and all the evil that has been done will be punished and I'm just here to tell you God can do a way better job at that than you ever will so here's the thing I know that today's message has been painful for a lot of people, but I'll say it again. God cares. Our church is trying its best to learn how to care better about this. I'm telling you to the degree that I am able to help you, I care about this. I'm looking at Tanya. She sent word to me as the service started. There will be people from Celebrate Recovery on either side of the stage as the service comes to an end and as the crowd's moving out, you can move up this way and you can take some first steps. You do not have to stay in your pain any longer. You don't have to. There's a way out. Healing and salvation are available to both the abused and the abuser because he can transform both victims and perpetrators, offended and offenders. I've seen it happen and he wants to do a good work. He wants to save you. He wants to redeem your pain and he wants to do it right now. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that my words have not gotten in the way of the message that needs to come to hearts today. My friend, as your head is bowed, your eyes are closed. I want to lead you in a prayer because I do think this is the best place to start. And the prayer might sound like something like, dear Jesus, I need you to be my Savior. I need you to be my forgiver and my leader. But I need you to be my savior because I need to be saved and rescued from my pain and my memories and my shame and my sin. Lord, please rescue me from my resentments and from my fears. I am begging you, God, please do what I cannot do for myself. And that is, please give me a new life. Give me a fresh start. Give me a new beginning. I want to trade in my hurt for your healing. And I want to trust you. And I want to learn to follow you. Every single day for the rest of my life. God, please let healing begin in lives, in families, in our community. And help us to be saltier salt and brighter light. I pray all these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.